The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. A couple of minutes of this meditation. Allowing yourself to drop in the reflection, what is my intention for participating in the Eightfold Path program? What's my intention in coming today to hear about right intention? And just allowing anything to bubble up that does without having to think about it particularly. So, welcome to our uh, session about right intention. So, intention is the purpose behind everything we think say or do um, at every moment. Um, we can think of right intention or, you know, helpful intention as cultivating the motivations between our thoughts and actions that lead in the direction of not suffering or of liberation. So to take a really simple example from daily life, maybe take a moment to think about a meal that you prepared yesterday and um, what, what your intention was. So your intention might have been to nourish yourself or uh, to self-soothe after a hard week, uh, to eat because you were hungry, to eat because you were bored or anxious, uh, to, for the pleasure of the taste of particular foods or to feed people you care about or create the centerpiece for a social occasion. Or you could have had multiple intentions for a particular meal. Um, whatever your intentions are at any moment, and they're coming up every time, you know, all the time. While we're thinking, while we're sitting, while we're doing. Um, whatever they are, they have an impact on your mind your heart and your body, and they have an impact on other people too. They have an impact on the world. Um, so they're one of the primary means through which we can either suffer or be free of stress and suffering. Um, sometimes our intentions though are so habitual that we're not really even aware that they're motivating us. So. Uh, in the Eightfold Path, when we explore intention, we're often first working with what we might call unhelpful intentions, the first things we notice. Um, 
recognizing the kinds of intentions or motivations that cause our suffering. So the Buddha pointed out three particular unskillful intentions that he invited us to focus on. And those were lust, which is sometimes described as greed, ill will, ill will and hostility. Um, lust in this case means craving or clinging or attachment to addiction to things that hold us back from freedom. So clinging starts in the mind and results in action, uh, in maybe unhelpful thoughts or unhelpful actions. Um, in the case of the prior example of why we prepared a particular meal, if the intention was craving, we might have selected foods that weren't so healthy for us or eaten too much of them, um, and contributed just a little bit to eroding our health over time. Or we might have had a wholesome intention, you know, eating something nourishing, providing food to people we care about. So you can see different things roll out of every intention. Um, and we may be caught in lust or greed more than we even realize. Um, we associate the word with lust the word lust with sex and certainly there are some sexual activities we might engage in that create suffering for ourselves or for other people but we can also broaden our thinking to realize we could be lustful addicted to a clinging or overly attached to other things so we might not typically think of the word addicted with respect to some of our behaviors but maybe we are compulsively attached in some similar ways to some motivations for thinking, speaking, or behaving in certain ways. And this can be very, you know, obvious or it can be very subtle. So, for example, we might be addicted to self-criticism and self-improvement. You know, our whole meditation practice could be a self-improvement project. And when we sit down to meditate, we might have a subtle agenda of where we want to get with that particular sitting or with meditation in general. We might be very attached to habits of reactivity to the external world. Um, could be, you know, we're, we feel very free to sound off or criticize or complain, you know, to colleagues. Or on the other hand, we could suppress our feelings, um, be overly compliant, not speak up. Um, maybe we're compulsive in our habits with respect to the phone, the television, the internet. Maybe we're attached to comfort and can't imagine doing without our, you know, soft bed and our morning cup of coffee. So it can be, like I said, really subtle. Um, or we could be, I mean, there are innumerable ways we soothe ourselves and there can be quite a bit of attachment there. But we could also be caught up in serious addictions like alcohol and drugs that are you know, recognized by most people as addictions. Or we can be caught in very less obvious forms of suffering, uh, like habitually tuning out people or news that we find disconcerting. Lust, greed, or attachment can take a lot of different forms when we're hooked on certain thoughts or behaviors. Um, so you, and you can start to hear how not only greed, but also ill will and hostility can start to enter in. So, you know, maybe take a moment right now and just consider how, you know, what are some ways that you feel 
uh, you cling to something that is really hard and really persistent, hard for you to stop being attached to. Could be an idea about yourself, could be something you do, something you think. Certainly the presidential election provides us plenty of chance to see our attachments, our views. So in addition to greed, ill will and hostility similarly cause a lot of suffering and pain. Um, often more to ourselves than the people at whom we're aiming those feelings. And Chris and Bruni will talk more about ill will and hostility and the antidotes in right intention that help us heal from those forms of suffering. It's really important with our practice on this path to start by recognizing when we are suffering these kinds of afflictive emotions or intentions. So at first we might start by feeling the negative after effects of having been caught up in greed, ill will, or hostility. Uh, Even if they're subtle, like sometimes they're almost funny, they're so ridiculous. I was sitting here this morning as practice leader and, you know, silently sitting with my eyes closed and I could hear a lot of people coming in late and sitting over here. And (laughs) the thought came up, oh no, I won't be able to sit in my favorite spot. (laughs) And so I sat there with that. I'm like, wow, look at the mind go. And then when I opened my eyes later, there was nobody sitting over there. (laughs) So like I got, got stirred up just this much about something that wasn't really happening. And a lot of times our intentions work that way. But sometimes we're really recognizing something uh, that really doesn't feel good after we feel greed or after we feel ill will or after we feel hostility, after those intentions set us in a certain direction. Um, Maybe as we go along, we can catch ourselves right in the middle of it. Like, you know, that was catching myself right in the middle of an intention to grab my favorite spot. Now I have an intention to go sit in the whatever spot in the hall I think is the worst spot in the hall to see what the heck is going on with that attachment. Um, you know, after a while, we may see that we're repeatedly caught in the same habit over and over again. And over time, we can really start to realize just how miserable uh, those unskillful intentions make us and how it rolls into negative interactions with others sometimes. So if we, if on the highway we want to, you know, get into the line of traffic faster, it's not only miserable for us to subject us to ourselves to that stress, but, you know, the poor person that we race for the <laughs> perfect spot. So it can feel overwhelming how often and for how long these unhelpful intentions come up around the ones that we're really stuck on. Um, And then we can get heartily sick of the suffering that follows them and at some point start to feel a a profound shift. Um, We see the greed, the hostility, the ill will, and maybe see them as they start to arise or even before they arise and decide we'd rather not be motivated that way. Have you ever caught yourself about to say something to someone 
and then just, mm, you know what, I don't think I need to say that. I think the way that's going to roll out is not good. Or you're about to grab for something you love and you think, you know what, I don't think I need that right now. I don't think that's going to help me. So the next step on the Eightfold Path is then cultivating intentions that lead to less suffering, ultimately to no suffering. So the wholesome intentions uh, that the Buddha brought up that oppose lust, ill will, and hostility are renunciation, goodwill, which is also called loving kindness, and compassion. And there's a a really well-known quote from the Dhammapada that describes the impact of unwholesome and wholesome intentions. Um, You may have heard it before. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So every single thought, every single action has either of those two potentials. And recalling what we learned last month about right view, we can start to see karma in action or the consequences that flow from, from the very motivation that's spurring us. So when we start to cultivate the right intention of renunciation, goodwill, and compassion, our relationship to ourselves and to others starts to shift in the direction of happiness. So for me, renunciation has felt like the hardest to understand and practice. For decades of my life, I practiced willpower or self-discipline and doing what I thought I should do or what was right to do. And I didn't even see that it was a kind of greed for perfection, a greed that I wanted things to turn out a certain way. And it took a long time because it seemed to work really well and it was rewarded externally. You know, like you turn up and you're the most responsible person at work and you get promoted. Um, But if it's coming from willpower, what, what I started to see, and I didn't see for a long time, is that there's a psychological and physical backlash from that. And ultimately, it's in my practice, as my practice went along, it stopped working. I couldn't do it anymore and couldn't quite find the replacement yet. So practicing mindfulness of intention, after a while, I could start to see the suffering in using shoulds against myself and how they were rather uncompassionate or unkind. Um, I read an essay called Trading Candy for Gold by Tanisaru Bhikkhu that began to make sense of renunciation for me. And if you're interested in that trading candy for gold, you can download it from accesstoinsight.com. The title alone helped me start to get renunciation, like, oh, this is trading in something that's not so helpful for something that's more precious and valuable. Um, In his essay, he calls renunciation a kind of intelligent sacrifice. He points to the fear of deprivation that can underlie our sense desires in particular. And that was one that definitely was resonant with me. You know, there were very early childhood experiences that I had conditioned into like, oh, I might not get enough, I might not do things right, those kinds of problems. And he points out that the cost of holding on with greed 
um, is agitating, burdensome, like being enslaved, and complicates our lives is and is definitely not peaceful. So it took me a long time to cultivate that awareness that I was kind of the slave to my own desires, that I was getting agitated by them, and they, that they weren't really helping me, that they were not peaceful. So the way that we can come to the end of lust is through a deep recognition of how the way that we're greedily pursuing something has a negative impact on us. We have to tune into that again and again for a long time sometimes until the suffering or stress of it finally makes it abundantly clear that greed is hurting us and hurting other people maybe. We have to get clear on how the alternative feels better. <laughs> so you have to actually experience that. Um, that can be really hard because immediate gratification is kind of addictive in and of itself. It feels momentarily like, oh, this feels much better. And what it takes a while to recognize is that that really short burst of gratification or relaxation inevitably subsides and then we don't feel so good. So if we're mindful of frequently enough to see that, it does become like trading a bag of Halloween candy in for a bag of gold. Um, one helpful way to practice renunciation is as a letting go. But the key to that has been to practice it, for me, as letting go into something. So if it was just letting go, I'm like, yeah, how do I do that? But letting go into um, something instead of enduring yet another round of immediate gratification and that turning into suffering again, it was possible to feel it as letting go into peace, letting go into relaxation, letting go into less suffering, letting go maybe into the cessation of suffering. So there are so many forms of clinging that we can let go of. Not only the greed of sense pleasures, but attachment related to our opinions, ideas, beliefs, clinging to having things a certain way or not having them a certain way. And ultimately it's possible to discover that if we don't have to identify or define ourselves by certain things, if we don't allow ourselves to be enslaved and caught up by our attachments, then we're freed up to respond to reality however it's arising in this moment. And so right intention ultimately helps us become more flexible and free. So I hope those are a few helpful ideas. And next, uh, we're going to break into groups. I think groups of four, and if we have an odd number, you know, it's okay to have a, a group of three. Um, so find some, maybe some people you haven't sat with before, three other people, and feel free to disperse yourselves in the hall so you have a chance to talk. Only one person will be talking at a time. So grab a group and arrange your chairs however you want to. Okay, so the two questions that you're going to reflect on um, is these two, are these two. <laughs> Where would you like to practice renunciation in your life? And what might help you, what, what might you let go into 
instead of the thing that you want to re practice renunciation of. So um, we're going to have 16 minutes to go around. So that's about four minutes a, per, a person. And what I'd like to encourage you to do is just, you know, each person take, you know, maybe say a minute's worth of stuff and then switch to the next person and go around because sometimes we're inspired by what other people say. It reminds us of something. So just say, you know, a minute of, of you know, what you'd like to practice renunciation of or what you might let go into instead and then maybe shift to the next person, next person. I'll ring the bell every um, minute to start with just so you get a sense of how long that timing is softly. I won't, I'll try not to interrupt you. Um, and so make sure that everybody gets a chance, you know, to go around and you'll have time for four go-rounds or so. Um, and then we're going to come back and report in the larger group. So with that, uh, maybe the person with the longest hair should start and then go in direction of shortest hair, longest to shortest. Yeah, do you have a question? Oops. Sorry, yes, very good idea. Um, do take a minute at the beginning just to be silent and collect your thoughts and then start. So I'll ring the bell in one minute. Can you say the again? Yes. The questions are, what would you like to practice renunciation of in your life? And while you're practicing that, what might you let go into instead? <laughs> um, so coming back, I want to have a chance. Um, thank you all for sharing with each other. And if there's anything that you, you know, were really struck by that you'd like to share with the big circle, um, we'll pass the mic around. So any observations or anything that you particularly are going to take home about this one? So the overwhelming take home for me is how united we are in our need and desire for renunciation and our wanting to open to acceptance and fulfillment and with what is, not with what we want. good to just hear what other people are thinking, right? So don't be shy. Uh, perhaps you can help clarify this for me because it seems to me that self-improvement is sort of one step on the way toward ending suffering for ourselves and consequently for all those around us. So um, how, how would you frame that? Because it, 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 it seems to get a little bit tangled up for me. 
Really good question. You know, I do think there's such a thing as wholesome motivation to do the practice, remembering to do it. Um, but maybe there's a place that you can start to feel where it edges into, oh, you know, I just need to fix myself. I just need to be, I just need to be better. I just need to be perfect. Or you're hard on yourself, or you're just relentless with yourself. And there, so there's a point where wholesome intention to practice can just edge into this self-improvement like it's such an American thing, right? We've got a gazillion books on the shelves about it. Um, I'd welcome comments from you guys too. One thing that occurs to me to add is that you know there's an underlying belief that we can fix everything maybe, you know, and that we can be young and healthy and the best forever and all the children above average, and <laughs> you know, it's just kind of not so. And so, there's a part of this practice that is coming to be realistic about the limits of perfecting everything, you know. So, that's a way in which we can be kind of holding ourselves above the reality of life and holding ourselves separate and superior from others in that quest for self perfection. And with that, I, I, we are going to be talking about uh, compassion and metta, and I think that is, there's going to be a little bit of um, how to uh, cultivate qualities to, uh, wholesome qualities in ourselves to really embrace ourselves just as we are in this moment right now, you know, uh, knowing that this moment is enough, and whatever is here is enough, including ourselves. Um, I feel like uh, the I've been very involved in the election, and I felt that if one person is elected, that it is a, a danger to human life. This is my belief. Uh, I've worked on the election. And one thing I'd like to do, uh, well, first I thought, well, I'm against this person being elected. And I thought, like, well, what am I for? You know, I mean, I can't go around all the time, I'm against, I'm against. I got to think of what am I doing, you know. And I thought, well, in this situation, I'm trying to protect human life. That's what I'm doing. That's why I'm motivated. But I do feel sort of like it's, I feel like my, I've been sort of kidnapped <laughs> by the election energy. Uh, it's hard for me to do things, and I put off some things I say, well, I'll talk to you about that after the election, okay? Um, and uh, just the meeting of the four of us together talking, uh, just that space where we're each talking about our concerns, I was able to come up with something uh, to work on it. Um, so to say, I'm trying to protect human life, I'm responding to, I think, a consequential event, but instead of just me being tied to that event, like, this is what I want to do, and, you know, a week after the election, I still want to protect human life, so I can still just be open to what I see, and you can't do everything, <laughs> but choose something and, and just continue with that theme, rather than saying, I'm tied to this election, I'm tied to protecting human life, and so I'll just go through this experience <laughs> and then um, see afterwards how that continues.
So thank you for those, and I'm sure there's plenty more uh, to talk about, and we'll have other opportunities to share. So it's, um, we're going to transition over to Chris talking about loving kindness now. We're having a little bit different schedule.